It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. All right, get ready for a, a huge bag of fun as we uh, move along with our next conversation. Jason Parker is joining us from Tatum's Bags of Fun. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm good, Adam. Thanks. And along with Jason is Brent Oakley from Prime Car Wash. Brent, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Good to be here. And uh, to preface the Bags of Fun, I mean, everybody loves a bag of fun. Uh, life uh, is all about having fun. And Jason, your organization is actually called Tatum's Bags of Fun. So first off, uh, before we get to the event that you're doing with Brent and Prime Car Wash, tell us about Tatum's Bags of Fun. What is it? Well, it's a nonprofit uh, organization. Um, my daughter Tatum, who's now 16 years old, is a two-time cancer survivor. Wow. Who was originally diagnosed uh, when she was five wow. with Ewing sarcoma in her right femur. And um, during that year of treatment of chemotherapy and, and surgeries, um, we were just overwhelmed by the amount of support we received from friends, family, and, and really some people we didn't even know. Um, and one of those things was we got this backpack filled with games and toys from an organization in Colorado called the Gabby Cross Foundation. And we just really liked the idea. And uh, my wife, Kendra, and I really always had an, a, an interest in giving back and doing something more. Um, and so we decided this was probably something that would fit what we wanted to do. And so we started Tatum's Bags of Fun in August of 2008. Um, and that's when we gave out our first bag to Riley Hospital for Children. Unfortunately for Tatum, four months later, she was re-diagnosed with cancer, this time in her lung. Um, another year of chemotherapy and radiation. Uh, but we're thankful that she's now 16 and has been cancer-free for seven years. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So and that and so again, the bags of fun, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh we decided we wanted to do it. Uh we had some uh lots of support from friends financially that helped us get us off the ground. And then people have just been really inspired by T not only Tatum, but her story and then her her, you know, wish and our wish as a family to give back to other pediatric cancer patients. So the bags of fun, they're backpacks, yep. they're filled with games and toys, about how many uh, a year? Yeah, so um, every year in Indiana, uh, approximately 350 children are diagnosed with a form of cancer, um, predominantly treated at Riley Hospital for Children, but then um, another probably 10 or 15 percent of those 350 are diagnosed at the Peyton Manning Children's Hospital at St. Vincent's and some at IU Health North, um, and then a few up in South Bend Memorial up in the north side of the state. So we've been doing that, like I said, August 1st of 08 was when we gave out our first bag. Uh, we're now somewhere over 2,500 bags delivered uh, since we started. Uh, we've been able to meet every request. Uh, the hospitals work very closely with us. They let us know when they have new children who have been diagnosed. We make the bags, we get, a, we get an age and a gender, and we move forward. So uh, your garage is just has a bunch of backpacks in it right <laughs> it's now. It's funny you bring that up. We just built shelving in our garage because I got tired of every room in my house being a storage <laughs> unit. So, uh, yes, we have lots of backpacks. We have lots of toys. People donate toys, and they also donate you know, financially. Um, my wife, uh, again, Kendra, handles all of the 
logistics of the bags of fun. So when she gets the list of kids, she goes to Target, for example, and, and buys what she thinks a four-year-old boy would want. And um, we just cram those bags full of as many good things as we can. Fun things that they can do while they're sitting in a hospital bed. Yeah. You know, they're strapped to a pole. They're tired. They're sick. They're bored. Um, so most of the things in the backpack are filled are things that they can do while, from the comfort of their bed. So let's just uh, take a backpack. Let's say uh, for a seven-year-old boy, what would be? Yeah. In it? So uh, so every bag comes with the main thing is an electronic. So uh, lately th- that's been the Kindle Fire, very much like an iPad, yeah. just a touch device. So they have internet or games or read books and watch shows and unbelievable. Not yeah. just coloring books. That's amazing. No. Yeah. Okay. So the rest of the books got puzzles and this is 2016 i mean you basically got to have technology at this point (laughs) yeah so so yeah but then the rest of the bags are are puzzles and uh uh coloring books and crafts and the boys love the nerf guns uh, they shoot the nurses with them, and those little, you know. Oh, I'm sure they love that. Your, the seven, especially <laughs> seven-year-old boys. They have, she, those things. Remember, you push your finger in, and it, it it sounds like a fart. For example, the boys love those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> girls love the necklace-making craft stuff. So again, the they're based on ages and genders, um, and everyone's different. You know, they yeah. they have the same concepts of them, but the, you know. They're all individually created every time. And I'd have to guess your your daughter's 16 now, Tatum. Yeah. Uh, she's the face of this organization. Uh-huh. She, so she is also inspirational story to walk in to meet some of these kids herself and tell yeah. them her story. Yeah. So that doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. Um, you know, because of uh, privacy laws and HIPAA regulations, we don't get a name. Um, the hospital okay. says, okay, this week we have five children. Um, we have three boys that are ages seven, nine, and 12, and two girls ages eight and 14. So that's all we get. And then my wife puts the bags together and then delivers them to the hospital and then they cross-reference and then deliver to the child. Now, a lot of other times though, because people know who we are since we've been doing this now for eight years, they will reach directly out to us and say, my cousin Sam has just been diagnosed. Can we get him a bag? And if we've been introduced and she can personally visit them and deliver it, um, that's the other part of the bag of fun. I mean, obviously, number one is we want to give the kids something, uh, make them feel better, um, bring a smile, some laughs. Um, typically, we try to get it to them within their first couple weeks of diagnosis when they're really down and they're scared and they're trying to figure out what's happening to them. Uh, but the other part of it, which is we're thankful because of Tatum's health, that is kind of happened is that we're sharing her story of success, which we hope then changes their mentality of what fighting cancer is. And I tell the story when we first went to Riley with Tatum, when uh, we were first starting treatments. And I remember walking into the hospital and walking into the chemo ward floor, and she had this long curly brown hair. I mean, looked like a baby doll. And I remember walking in going, everybody knows we're the new people because she had a full head of hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being scared to death. And she, again, she was only five, so I'm not sure she really comprehended what was happening to her. But that same day, they brought a girl up who was a teenager who just finished or got her five-year cancer-free appointment who had the same exact cancer that Tatum had. And I remember at that moment, it changed exa- everything or the, every way I looked at it, mm-hmm. like we're going to win, we're going to beat this. And so we're hopeful that by sharing Tatum's story, that children and their parents will take that same 
get the same mentality out of it. It's powerful. Yeah, it's inspirational. Yeah. So yeah. for our listeners that want to uh, help you out and give to your organization, I'm sure you take cash donations through yep. your uh, website. Uh, and what about like toys and games and, and electronics and backpacks, yeah. actual yeah. hardware? Yeah, so you can find us at, it's as simple as tatumsbagsoffun.org, and that's T-A-T-U-M-S bagsoffun.org. That's our website. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Facebook, same thing. Look for Search for Tatum's Bags of Fun. Instagram, um, Twitter, at Tatum's Bags of Fun. Um, it's all the same. So no matter what platform you're on, you can find us. Um, if you want to donate toys, for example, um, our contact information is on the website. Um, so you can email me directly. It's Jason, J-A-Y-S-O-N, at bagsoffun.org. Or um, there's a messaging you know, platform on the website. Um, and we're, we have a P.O. box, so we can easily accept them, too. Inspirational stuff from Jason Parker with Tatum's Bags of Fun. And you have partnered with Mr. Brent Oakley and Prime Car Wash to have a little Halloween fun. Yeah. Uh, Brent, tell us about what you're doing with Tatum's Bags of Fun. Yeah, I, you know, when I heard Jason's story and Tatum's story several, several years ago, it was one of those things where you're always thinking, how can you help? And when you can help in certain ways and certain charities, it's amazing. But when you can help children, that just got a really raw deal and a really unfortunate situation. And it's not just the children that go through it. It's almost like the parents go through it just as much because the child almost doesn't even realize they haven't had enough life experiences to even know what's happening to them. And mom and dad uh, with the little ones, you know, just when a kid is sick uh, and you feel helpless, I can't fathom what a, what a mom and dad would feel like um, in, that, in that situation. So... Whenever we can help any kind of um, children's event, we try to, um, children's charity. And uh, what we decided to do this year is, because of children, Halloween is the most fun dress-up time that there is, <laughs> and uh, they always get excited for it. So what we decided to do is, at our car wash, uh, we're going to make it kind of a haunted car wash this year. And uh, we're giving away free car washes. The only thing that you're going to have to pay when you get there is uh, $6 that will 100% go to Tatum's Bags of Fun. Um, So hopefully everybody will want to come out to Carmel, Indiana this year and um, participate, donate. If you have toys and things like that that you want to donate, uh, we'll be collecting those as well. Um, But yeah, just uh, everybody come through, have fun, be in costume. All of our employees will be in costume. So it should be an absolutely an absolute blast for the night so haunted car wash i mean i'm not ashamed to admit that when i go through a car wash uh it scares me anyway (laughs) it's dark yeah there's those things flipping around my windows and yeah i can't see because there's soap on my windows i mean that's frightening that's the point and you're telling me that even in between the soap you're gonna have uh monsters and zombies inside the car wash yeah that's right we did we did it last year uh it, it goes over well so we definitely do recognize when there's um, little little children in there, and uh, we go we go easy on them. But for all the the um, teenagers out there that think they're tough, come through our car wash. We'll see what we can do about scaring you. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any way we can have like a lottery where one of the cars, if you're the car that has like I'm kind of a bigger guy, I'll hide in the corner. 
I'll jump out with a sledgehammer and shatter your windshield. <laughs> and that car wins free car washes for, for life. Can we do something like that? Uh, That'd be frightening. That yeah. would, talk about a haunted car, haunted car wash. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, going to no. up my insurance policies, I think. Um, Just but don't no, dress fun. as a clown. Yeah, oh, the clown. You're going to have clowns we, in we there. We do aren't you? have scary clowns <laughs> okay. in there. It's, it's bothersome. But it, it was great last year. We, we raised a lot of money for the charity we chose last year. Um, the employees love it. The employees come in and they all have great costumes on and uh, they get into it as well. So it's just as fun for us as it is the kids coming through the wash. And then it's for a good uh, good, good cause. So it's it's a blast. Okay. And that is on, uh, is it the 28th? Yes. Okay. And about 6 p.m. Yep. Uh, free car wash with a minimal donation of $6. Yep. Minimal. So you can give as much as, as you want. As much as you want. And it all goes to Tatum's bags of fun. Absolutely. And you can also bring uh, items, uh, to, like what we were previously talking about, backpacks and toys and games and stuff. Absolutely. Um, and that is uh, October 28th, the yeah. Haunted Car Wash at Prime Car Wash, the Carmel location, uh, with Tatum's bags of fun. And for more information, you can go to tatumsbagsoffun.org, or I'm sure you also have this information on your Prime Car Wash Facebook page. Absolutely. Yep. Search Prime Car Wash, you'll find it. Facebook, we have it on our website as well. Um, under events coming up, go there if you wanted to check it out as well. Okay, and if you need uh, an extra monster in the car wash, let me know. I'll be there. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. The show continues in Knoxville on the campus of the University of Tennessee. We're blessed to be with head football coach of the Tennessee Volunteers, Butch Jones. Hi, Butch. How are you? I'm doing great, Adam, and appreciate you being here. Lovely to see you again. I caught up with you a few years back at the University of Cincinnati. You've upped and moved yourself, your entire family, to Knoxville. How do you like Knoxville? It's a great place. Uh, very, very passionate. Uh, Tennessee football, uh, the magnitude, the relevance, not only in the great state of Tennessee, but throughout the course of the country can be felt. We have a lot of positive momentum right now, a lot of positive energy surrounding our football program. I love talking to head coaches uh, to get their take on community service, philanthropy. I know at the forefront of your uh, job description is X's and O's, defense and offense. Uh, how do you take the, I guess, the second page of your job description, which is make young men gentlemen with, with whether it's uh, player development, life skills, community service. Is that a, a close second page to the main page of X's and O's? Well, it's actually the first page. Oh, good, and, uh, good. You know, I always say before you can win on the field, you have to win off the field. And uh, that's part of our core values is being champions in the community. And we set a record last year with over 5,000 community service hours, and we're going to break that record uh, this year. And uh, that's part of our duty. It's part of our responsibility. It's part of our character education, but it's also part of the personal growth and development that every student athlete uh, has when they come to the University of Tennessee. Anton Davis uh, is your volunteers, um, what was it? He Vol for Life. Vol for Life, I'm sorry, yeah, Vol for Life, He's, which is the equivalent of player development and life skills with your program. Um, how closely do you work with Anton on these type of initiatives? Well, very closely. He's one of our most important coaches, and at Tennessee, we have a program called the Vol for Life program, and that's all-encompassing from when players graduate and leave our program to our current players and really making them better people because they are part of our University of Tennessee football family, and Anton does a great job you know with community service hours providing mentorship to our players and really teaching them what we call the volunteer way what in the course of your career 
Butch Jones, head coach of Tennessee Volunteers, uh, maybe not even here in Knoxville, uh, but over the last 40 years of your life, what's been your favorite philanthropy or community service project? I know we talked to one of your guys earlier today about a polar plunge, and I'm sure he'll remember that for the rest of his life, jumping in 28-degree water. Uh, what do you think back in your, in your life, not, not necessarily on the field as a coach, but as a mentor, as an educator, uh, some of your favorite initiatives with community service? Well, last year in the Knoxville community and Habitat for Humanity, we actually uh, built a home. And to be able to stay, stand on the front porch of that house and give the family the keys to it was a very, very special and defining moment, not only for myself, but our entire football team. And, you know, growing up a son of a chief of police, my father was a chief of police for 30 some odd years. So community service and, you know, that community spirit has always kind of been in my blood. I was raised on that. But I tell you what, Adam, to sit on that front porch and stand rather and give the keys to that house is very special. And your football team built the house. We built the house. And, uh, you know, I wasn't much help because I'm not very skilled, but uh, <laughs> manual labor, but, uh, you know, our players really took ownership in it. Uh, they took a lot of pride in their work and their workmanship. So it was uh, a very special day when we completed the project. Now, are the kitchen counters like eight inches higher than they should be because uh, your offensive linemen are six foot seven? You know what? Pretty standard. Everything was standard <laughs> and up to code. They need a heavy-duty toilet in that house if your football team built that one. Okay, well, Butch Jones, we can't thank you enough for your time uh, talking about community service, leadership with your student-athletes. We wish you the best of luck here with the volunteers and the football program here in the University of Tennessee. Well, as always, great seeing you, and you have a great message, and you're always part of the Tennessee football family. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social technically it's the adam ritz show and i'm adam ritz we thank you so much for listening and this is a follow-up report to uh, a foundation an initiative that we learned about uh, at penn state university called uplifting athletes and we are uh, super excited to have the executive director and founder of uplifting athletes scott shirley with us hi scott how are you hi adam thanks for having me scott uh, shirley played at penn state university wide receiver when we were uh, those years uh, 99 to 2003 Okay, so uh, you're still in shape. Could you play right now? <laughs> no, nah, these kids get bigger, stronger, <laughs> faster every year. Well, I'll get to uh, some fun on the field moments with you in a minute, but I want to talk about your foundation. You are, uh, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, you're the founding, uh, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, and um, you founded it while you were a player at Penn State about 10 years ago. Tell us about yeah. this. Yeah, when I was on the team, uh, it was fall of 2002, actually the week we were playing Iowa, I was on my way home from practice one day, and I got a phone call from my mom. It's one of those calls, you know, something's not right. And I, I answered the phone, and sure enough, she was so choked up she could hardly speak. So I pulled into a parking lot uh, while she composed herself, and, and she finally told me that my father had been diagnosed with kidney cancer and was only given six months to live. Um, so, you know, at the time, it didn't really hit me because my father lived a very healthy life. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke. He was a high school baseball coach with over 400 wins, so he was known as a fighter. And I figured we just needed to go get another opinion. Yeah. And uh, you know, everywhere else we went in the fall, we were told the same thing, that nothing can be done. Second opinion, third opinion. We were going to all the best medical centers in the Mid-Atlantic region. Finally, in the spring of 2003, uh, we went down to see the top oncologist at Johns Hopkins. And I felt like we were going down there to get an answer. And the doctor doesn't even close the door of the waiting room. He just sticks his head in and says, the reality is there's nothing we can do for you. Go home and enjoy the time that you have. Wow. And uh, you are a member of the team, and um, 
you know, I'm going to make this quick because it's how uh, it's processing in my head. But uh, you, at some point, come to terms with this and decide you need to do something about this to give back and create awareness. Or and that's the the really the genesis of, of uplifting athletes. Yeah, exactly. I, we walked out of there, uh, out of that appointment. I felt like we'd really reached the end of the road at that point. That's when it really got real for me that, um, you know, nobody else was doing anything about this. So on my way back to Penn State, I called the American Cancer Society, and they explained to me that different cancers are actually different diseases uh, with different treatment protocols. Um, you know, so since kidney cancer doesn't typically respond to the standard first-line treatments like chemo or radiation, kidney cancer is not one of their priorities. So now we have all these doctors telling us that there's nothing that they can do. The American Cancer Society is telling us there's nothing that they have chosen to do. Uh, my next call was the Kidney Cancer Association, small group out of Chicago. Um, and they said that's all true. But the bigger challenge is that since it affects fewer than 200,000 Americans, it lacks the financial incentive to make and market new treatments. It's considered a rare disease, and it's been orphaned by the system. And uh, I walked into my apartment that night, and my roommate, teammate, Damone Jones, is sitting on the couch. And, you know, we're 20-year-old college kids at the time, and Damone's playing video games, and he greets me and asks about my day. And I said, you know what? It sucks. 45,000 Americans a year are diagnosed with this disease. They're told they have a 10% chance of living for five years. Nobody's doing anything because they don't, they don't think it's important. <laughs> Damone looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. He said, well, then why don't we do something? We're Penn State football. He said, if I wipe my butt sideways, it's on the front page of the paper. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, let's take advantage of the position that we're in and, and share this spotlight that we have with a community that, that would really benefit from having it. Well, you know, on, on the emotional level, uh, uh, condolences and, and it's so emotional. I'm so sorry to hear about, about your father and what happened 10 years ago. Uh, to move forward and, um, you know, make a positive out of a negative, you really did that. So initially with Uplifting Athletes, what was that first uh, initiative on campus with your team at Penn State? What would you do that year? Yeah, so after Damona and I had that conversation, we started talking about it in the locker room. The team rallied around an idea that we had to hold a summer lifting competition that became known as the Lift for Life. Uh, but what happened next was really, really pretty cool uh, because the benefits are greater than we anticipated. We literally had guys lining up at our lockers saying, hey, I heard what you're trying to do. How can I help? I want to get involved. You know, And this was different than any other community service we'd done. It was planned by an administrator somewhere, and they pulled the van up and told you to put your jersey on. You know, And it was great in the moment, but this was a complete different service learning experience for us because we were actively engaged. We, we had that sense of ownership. As we sat around a table and planned it, we realized that you know, Dave's a supply chain major, so he's working on the logistics. And... Um, you know, our friend Darius is an accounting major, so he's, you know, the treasurer, and Damone's a, a marketing major, so he's doing the promotions, and it started to feel like we were running our own business, um, taking what we were learning in the classroom with the leadership skills from the field and applying it towards something we were passionate about, and three short months later, we had the first Lift for Life event, uh, which was a, really just a fun-to-watch lifting competition that was in our squad uh, in front of hundreds of fans, uh, lots of media, and really proved our ability to inspire patients with hope. So then uh, the next day, you wake up and say, we got to do this again. we got to keep this going. What would you do the next year? How many months went by before the next event? Did it become an annual event at that moment? Yeah, so um, Lift for Life was really the focus of it in the beginning. And that first event raised about $13,000, which wow. as college kids, you know, we, huge. we felt um, was pretty cool. We really didn't have anything to benchmark it against. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that other guys on the team had that same experience that we did. So we registered it as a student organization, transitioned to leadership. You know, I was finishing my master's of engineering at the time, but I, was, I had played my last season that fall. Um, so we got some other guys involved to run it, and they had it a second year, raised $38,000. So uh, another wow. teammate, 
Dave Casso and I one night are writing thank you letters to the donors, and um, we're talking about the fact that we've raised over $50,000 now in, in only 15 months. And uh, for this organization that's really underfunded, we come to find out that, that was, we were their largest donor at that point as, as a couple of college kids. And uh, we, we figured, you know, we'd never met anybody from this group, um, and it would be fun to go out there sometime. So Dave and I both look at our calendars. The only weekend we're both available is that weekend. And this is Thursday night about 9 o'clock. So if we're going to go, we need to make the decision to go. So we pick up the phone. We call out the Kidney Cancer Association and ask if they'd be in town that weekend. They said, we are. Unfortunately, it's our biggest patient conference of the year. And we'd hate for you to come out here and not get to spend any time with you because we're only a staff of four. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is, this is our big event. And uh, Dave and I felt like we might as well take the chance because we don't have this opportunity any other time. Both called our parents. They told us that they were okay with it. We went out to the airport to book a flight. Couldn't do that at 10 o'clock at night. I was yeah. <laughs> out, of, out of state college. So we ended up renting a car, going home, doing our laundry, leaving about 2 a.m. and driving to Chicago. <laughs> about an hour outside of the city, we get a call from the Kidney Cancer Association to see if we're still coming. We told them where we were. They said, great, our keynote speaker just canceled. Can you guys fill in? Oh, my gosh, that's great. Well, especially so, as, as the biggest donors, right. if you've just raised 50 grand in the last right. 15 months. Right. So you're, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we pull over to a rest stop, change our clothes, pull up to Hilton O'Hare. They valley our car and usher us right up on the stage. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, so now we're standing in front of a room full of people that all lived in the same world that my parents lived in, that my dad specifically lived in, where the, he was told, Nothing can be done because nobody cares. Yeah. In walk two college football players, another volunteer, Carrie Konoski, who ironically is now the director of development for the Kidney Cancer Association. Um, she went with us on the trip because she had helped us uh, with that event at Penn State that year. Three of us walk in on stage in front of this room full of people that, that really feel like it's them against the world. And we tell them, you know, this is who we are. This is what we did. We drove halfway across the country last night to share our story with you because um, we care. And just, just that fact alone was enough to really inspire them with hope. We were interrupted three times in 10 minutes by a standing ovation, and that was the life-changing moment for me, was up until then, it really seemed like a good thing to do, the right thing to do, but leaving there, after we had moved their medical advisory board to tears, I felt like this was an obligation that we had to use this platform that we've been given. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that that part of the story was going to come out. That's uh, I'm inspired now to get involved. Uh, Scott Shirley is our guest, the founder of Uplifting Athletes, uh, former Penn State football player that started this organization uh, while he was a Penn State player. And uh, so now you move forward and you make this thing a national initiative. You, I, I'm assuming you, at some point you quit your job. You were an engineering guy and you work in, you're working for corporate America, engineering uh, something, something big time, uh, important future with a big six-figure job. You quit all that to really focus on this national foundation. Tell us about when it went national. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole experience in Chicago really stayed with me. And as, as you mentioned, I graduated with two degrees in engineering from Penn State while playing football and a great institution. And I was working my dream job in D.C. Uh, and I, the, my last project there was $140 million mixed-use development. Um, really great experience for me. And it was, it was everything I'd always worked towards. But this continued to grow at Penn State. And it reached a point where we felt like kidney cancer is only one of 7,000 different rare diseases. And, again, that, that sense of obligation, that calling, that we could create the same experience for other college football players around the country and use that coordinated effort to elevate the rare disease cause but give all of them an opportunity to raise money for a rare disease that's had a direct impact on them. Because, statistically, there's 7,000 different rare diseases. 
they all affect fewer than 200,000 Americans, but collectively, it's 30 million Americans. That's the size of the constituency that we serve. So statistically, you're talking about one out of 10. So every football team in America knows somebody with a rare disease, and they have a platform they can use to, to really change the, change the landscape, change the game for those patients. So your program, uh, you work with college football teams across the country. You have sort of a, a program that they take over. Mm -hmm. They have their own student leadership. They get involved, and they can pick the charity, the rare disease that yeah. they raise money for, yeah. and, there's, uh, and they do it without any coaches or administrators. This is all student-athlete right. run. Yep. Yeah, it operates on every campus as a student organization, um, so it's really no different than um, you know, a fraternity or the chess club or you know, whatever other group um, you know, you might be familiar with. It operates really the same way. We provide support to them. We take them through a strategic planning process on an annual basis. We introduce them to their peers on other campuses so they can work together, and they hold different events throughout the year, some, uh, some fundraising events, some awareness events. Um, Penn State this fall, I'm sorry, this spring uh, for Global Rare Disease Day uh, at the basketball game, they did seven, the students did 7,000 push-ups in honor of the 7,000 different rare diseases. You know, and that was, that was broadcast on the Big Ten Network while Penn State was upsetting Michigan that night. You know, and it really starts a conversation about rare diseases. And that's, how, that, that's really the beginning of change. That's the impetus of change is just starting the conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing grows. In fact, I'd love to be a part of it. I'm inspired. I love college football. We work with a lot of foundations, so whatever we can do to help out. Uh, if you are a college or even a high school football coach, because I know you're going to start branching out and doing D2, D3, college and high school football teams across the country. If you're a football coach listening to this broadcast and want to learn more, email me. Uh, go to Adam Rich show.com and email me and we'll set up the digital introduction with Scott Shirley and uh, Uplifting Athletes and your website is upliftingathletes.org. Correct. All right, well Scott Shirley, we can't thank you enough for your service and, and your time on the show to be part of this broadcast. Go to upliftingathletes.org, email me uh, coaches if you're listening and you want this to be part of your uh, initiatives and have your student athletes do a student run organization to help raise money for rare diseases and cancer across the country we can't thank you enough scott for being on the show thanks adam the adam ritz show is recorded live both in studio and across the country for information on this broadcast including how to hear this show on a station in your city visit adamritzshow.com